0: Direct from Cape Gunworks in Hyannis, you're listening to Rapid Fire Radio with your host, Toby Leary. I'm Toby
1: Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed. It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome, everybody, to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense, sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. I welcome everybody to the show. I appreciate your guys watching and listening and commenting and sharing, which you can do at Cape Gunworks and at Rapid Fire Radio, wherever you find these broadcasts. You can go to YouTube or Twitter or Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And it would really help us if you like, comment, subscribe, share, and spread the word far and wide to all your friends, neighbors, enemies, loved ones, and uh, associates. But that will help us get the word out that this channel has content that you don't want to miss out on. So um, I appreciate each and every one of you listening every week. and. Um, we're going to talk a lot about the stuff that's been going on in the state house. We had 56 bills presented in the state of Massachusetts at the beginning of the legislative session. And they had their day in the Gardner auditorium at the state house yesterday. And we had lots of people talk and comment and testify and on both sides of the gun control argument. Um, we had Gun Owners Action League was given a great length of time to talk. We had um, the Moms Demand Action, the uh, Giffords people, the um, all the uh, Brady. Uh, who else was there? Live for Life, the lady who spoke at the um, the HD forty four twenty hearing that we had, which became H4139. Uh so and I noticed a trend and that is book a massive gun hearing talk right after a holiday weekend. Yeah, that'll make it make it uh really good for everybody involved and uh make it make it convenient for everyone to to be there and uh and, and uh, be able to contribute and you know whatnot. So that's just the way it goes these days. But second time in a row, they booked a massive hearing the week after a holiday. So I know that they know that everybody's not paying attention. And so they're expecting that they'll be able to sweep some stuff under the carpet while no one's paying attention and and you know unfortunately that's that's not a good tactic just the facts ma'am yeah exactly so the the bottom line is we got our word out in a meaningful factual way yesterday none of that matters to those that are in power At the state house. I wouldn't say those, all those. There are some people who I feel methodically listened and um, won't vote to restrict your right to keep and bear arms. The one thing that I chose to bring up, which needs to be said louder and more often, especially in light of Bruin and Heller and McDonald and Caetano and Murdoch v. Pennsylvania. And that is that the state has no constitutional authority. They are given limitations by the constitution itself, especially the second amendment, which says shall not be infringed. I know those are some hard words to swallow. And I think it might be like, you know, in this state where they take everything away and they want us to comply by their unconstitutional laws. And we want the very thing that we can't have, right? We want clocks. We want AR-15s. We want AK-47s. And then the, the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment to the Bill of Rights says, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So they look at that as a challenge. And they want to infringe it upon it. and. Tear it apart. Now, obviously, there are massive implications for tyrants who do want to infringe upon your constitutional rights. That is, there is a way for the people to throw off tyrannical government if they deem that the tyrannical government is not doing what they are supposed to do. It's written right into the very fabric of our nation. And there's no fear of that if they can restrict the right to keep and bear arms to a level that is an absurd level. By the way, the number here is 508-444-2120. Feel free to call if you want to talk about yesterday. I did all four and a half hours of that, um, hearing yesterday. And I think it's very important. A lot of people in the comments were like, I got to go. This is making me sick, but it's really important to know thine enemy, right? Know the way that they are going to restrict your right. Know the way the battle plan, the game plan, the, the, um, the methodology that they are going to use to take away your right. Because it isn't going to be overnight, one fell swoop, thus saith Congress, you do not have a right to keep and bear arms. That's impossible. They know it. They also know that they have been getting away with 40, 50, maybe even a hundred years of unconstitutional interest balancing Tears of scrutiny approach to infringing upon the Second Amendment. And because it hadn't really been challenged or it hadn't been litigated all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court rule in a way that gave the inferior courts the methodology on how they have to rule on all future Second Amendment cases— until the Bruin case, they've been getting away with it forever. And if you're a frequent listener of the show, you know exactly um, what that looks like and what that means to those of us behind enemy lines. So my suspicion, and right after Bruin happened, I predicted that things are gonna get worse before they get better um because they don't like being told what they can and can't do and like i said that shall not be infringed is a challenge to them it is something that uh will will cause them to um go hard after the thing that they think that they don't have um jurisdiction over because that is the case, right? That is exactly the way it works. They see the, um, the writing on the wall. If there's something they can't touch, then they want to touch it. Uh, they're not fearful of the backlash. They're not fearful of being voted out of office. They're not fearful of being brought up on charges um unfortunately and really they should be because that is the um, you know exactly what they need to worry about like exactly what they uh should be fearful of um so anyway they uh, the bottom line is they're they're not They're not going to give you. They're not going to defer or give you the deference to rights, and that's exactly the way the the rights, the right to keep and bear arms, or all of our enumerated rights are. Um, The as Mark Smith so aptly points out, the the burden of proof is on the government to prove. That they have the constitutional authority to do what they say they're going to do. So I just really uh, quick want to take the three minutes to play what it was that I said yesterday, and um, I know some of you heard it, and uh, a lot of you have been noticed it on Twitter and everything else. But for those listening online or to a replay or the podcast. Um, I would just, I feel it it would be appropriate to have you guys um, hear this. So we're gonna do that real quick. And uh, so it'll just take a second here. Thank you for having me on today. I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. Um, I would like to voice my opposition to all of the pending gun control bills. Uh, First and foremost, I think as some have pointed out The legislature lacks the constitutional authority to continue to infringe on our second amendment rights all of these proposals are the constant solution in search of a problem restricting the law abiding for the criminal acts of a few is like cutting your leg off to prevent athlete's foot we should focus on the swift criminal prosecution of violent criminal actors and lock them away for long lengths of time james madison wrote in the Federalist Papers, number 44, that the members of the federal government have no agency in carrying out the state constitutions into effect, but the members of the officers of state governments on the contrary have an essential agency in giving effect to the federal constitution. I ask all of the mass legislature uh, representatives here today to remember your oath of office and to uphold the constitution against all enemies, both, both foreign and domestic. The Mass Legislature has not been granted the privilege to enact gun laws except those that are in the text of the Second Amendment and that have historical or traditional relevance at the ratification of the Second Amendment in 1791. I would like to know where the Constitution says that you can restrict any of our enumerated rights. Since the Bruin decision clarifies the Second Amendment is not a second class right, you can no longer treat the Second Amendment with the same the same way you have for decades. To do so would be a violation of your oath of office and an act of malfeasance. As I pointed out, you lack the constitutional authority to pass any of these laws restricting our rights. You may hold power to do it, but to do so would be an abuse of power and should be treated as such under Title 18 U.S. Code section 242. It will also cost taxpayers thousands if not millions of dollars and jam up our court systems and courtrooms for decades to come as uh aaron grossman so aptly pointed out there are five recent supreme court decisions that have said your gun confiscation schemes are unconstitutional if you can can you infringe on anyone's enumerated rights there were five tribes that were marched on the trail of tears whose rights were infringed upon and the Supreme Court said no, that they couldn't have their rights infringed on, but the five tribes were still sent on a death march to Oklahoma. Please refer to Heller, McDonald, Bruin, Catano, and Murdoch v. Pennsylvania for those five uh, case Supreme Court cases that you're in open defiance of. They will the The gun control schemes that are on the books right now will be made right at a great price. And a a great cost to the courtrooms in Massachusetts and to the citizens. So to continue with the status quo and just continue to ban guns or ban common guns that are in common and ordinary use is a dereliction of duty. And uh, I thank you for your time on that.
0: Thank you. Any questions from committee members hearing none.
1: Hearing none. That was pretty quick, right? Hearing none. Um, So I'm not surprised. This is not the, that wasn't the type of statement that I made that I think was going to conjure up any questions like, really? You think we don't have the right to make laws that are contrary to the second amendment? Right. Yeah. I don't think you do have that right and that authority and that, uh, you lack constitutional authority to do it. And the fact that you do it anyway is an abuse of power. At the highest level, you swore to us, put your hand on the Bible, raised your hand and swore an oath. You haven't changed the oath of office yet, but you swore to uphold and protect the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And yet, here we are, 56 bills before you that defy the Second Amendment. I just want to know if you will defy the SCOTUS, Supreme Court of the United States on gun issues, what about other issues? What about um, the case I mentioned, Murdoch v. Pennsylvania, where you can't charge a fee, sell a permit or a license for the free exercise of any constitutionally protected right? So are you going to start imposing a tax or a license or a permit For people to go to church or for people to sell religious material door to door or for uh, people to have Fourth Amendment protections against illegal searches and seizures. Are you going to issue a license for that? Are you going to sell a permit for that so that now the police, if, if you don't have said permit, can just knock on your door in the middle of the night and force their way in and start going through your stuff looking for stuff that they think that you might have? Um, cause that's really what you're doing, exactly what you're doing. And you would never dream of doing that when it comes to the fourth amendment or the fifth amendment or the second, uh, the first amendment. Right. But you'll do it with the second amendment cause you've got away with it for so long, but the jig is up folks. You're not going to get away with it any longer. We'll talk more about that on the other side. Um, I see everybody on the chat. We will get to your questions, I promise. If you want to be on the phone, 508-444-2120, and I'd be happy to talk to you about that or anything else in the news. I'm Toby Leary, and make sure you don't go away. We'll be right back. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex Difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary. Thank you for joining us each and every week to talk about one of my favorite subjects, guns and freedom. Uh, I guess that's two of my favorite subjects. And we we throw a bunch of other stuff in there as well. Uh, But we'll also talk about whatever it is, whatever you want to talk about. If you don't follow us live, whenever we go live with these streams, you need to go over to Rapid Fire Radio, U.S. and get signed up today, so you don't miss out on a broadcast. You would hate to miss out on a broadcast like that. Um, So, get signed up and be alerted. Uh, I appreciate all those who do, Um, and thank you for comments. I see sometimes comments just to pump up the algorithm, so I appreciate that too. Um, But. Interesting story, Um, well, before I get to it, let me just finish out the thought that we were talking about before the uh, break. And one of the things, um, I got a call today on the Grace Curley Show, we did 2A Tuesday on Wednesday because um, we couldn't do it yesterday thanks to that four and a half hour hearing. So um, one of the callers today, A gentleman said, we just need to sue the legislature or sue our congressmen so that they don't do this anymore. Well, that presents a little bit of a challenge because the Congress wrote that they couldn't be sued, the state Congress anyway, the state legislature, that you can't sue them, right? And that kind of makes sense. I kind of agree with it. If you're a lawmaker and you can make a law that says um, you gotta go around a rotary. Well, people who have trouble going around rotaries might wanna sue you. If you make a law, you know, for budgeting, fixing potholes, and you know, there's some psychopath out there that th- likes potholes, he could sue you and just jam you up and you couldn't do your job because you're always defending yourself in court. So that was why the Constitution said that the Congress couldn't be sued for the laws that they create. However, Title 18 U.S. Code Section 242, which I talked about in that um, that speech yesterday, says whoever, under color of any law, statute, ordinance, uh, ordinance regulation, or custom, willfully subjects any person in any state to the deprivation of any rights, privileges, or immunities secured or protected by the Constitution or laws of the United States shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than one year or both. And if bodily injury results from the acts committed in violation of this section or if such acts include the use attempted use, or threatened use of a dangerous weapon, explosives, or fire. Just picture the use of dangerous weapon when the police come to raid your house for said prohibited item that is protected under the Constitution or the uh, Bill of Rights, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both And if death results from the acts committed in violation of this section, or if such acts include kidnapping or attempt to kidnap aggravated sexual abuse or an attempt to commit aggravated sexual abuse, or an attempt to kill, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for any term of years or for life or both, or may be sentenced to death. That's how serious the U.S. code is um, in dealing with deprivation of rights under color of law. And that's the part that most people don't understand when they sit there and they sit in their ivory towers knowing they're untouchable, can't be sued, and yet they defy their oath of office. They violate it. They're unfaithful actors in their duties to those who put them there. And they deprive you of the very thing that our forefathers fought and died for and gave their fortunes, their families, their homes, and everything, their businesses. They, they literally put everything on the plate, on the table, all their cards. They pushed all their chips to the center and said, all in. And yet these people sit in their ivory towers, and they're, they've are been elected to some form of state government or U.S. Congress, and they think that they can just change the Constitution with whatever special interest group or um, you know person who has a sob story to tell comes and says we need to do something. I, the, one of the most ironic things from yesterday's hearing was the woman from Moms Demand Action is talking to Stephen Ixaros. And uh, by the way, he's going to try, I'm going to try and get him on the show. Um, He might be here any minute. So uh, we're going to go to him whenever he gets here. Um, But Representative Ixaros is asking her, Well, you're worried about playgrounds and sensitive places, but why would you ever want to disarm good people from those places? And she says, I don't want to be at the playground with someone who has a gun. I could get shot or that that makes me nervous. I would feel very uncomfortable if someone is there. And then he says, well, how about the you've just disarmed everybody who's a good law abiding, responsible gun owner from being able to protect you at the playground. But what's to prevent the psychopath or the criminal from going there and committing evil acts? Oh, well, there's nothing we can do about that. Well, yeah, there is. Stop disarming good people. And you don't have to worry about the criminal. Every time... Oh, and then she went on this big tirade about how more guns don't make us safe. Uh, Actually, that does make us more safe. Hate to say it, but um, gun-free zones are like where 90% of mass shooting events take place. So uh, you're going to have to stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Um, I know that you're not... Listening to facts or to statistics, but that's the that's the truth. So um, that I just want to close the loop on that, uh, you know, from yesterday. But um, there's an interesting article on Bearing Arms today from uh, Tom Knighton, and he's talking about a uh, where most youth mass shooters get their guns from and a new study has found something interesting a study by researchers at the university of florida and university of south carolina found that most shootings school shootings involving adolescents do not result in mass casualty events the study also suggests that there is likely a parallel between school gun violence and broader community violence researchers analyzed 253 school shootings spanning 26 years. In most cases, by the way, that's 252 too many because after the first one, radical radical steps should have been taken to ensure that another one would never ever happen again in the in this country. Um in most cases, the suspect took the weapon from a relative. The study noted that firearms involved in community violence are similarly deployed in the school shootings, which suggests a potential overlap in the factors driving these violent incidents collectively. All but seven of the 253 shootings analyzed involve fewer than four fatalities. Well, Assault rifles are often the weapons of choice in mass shootings. 85.5% of school shootings analyzed involved handguns. About 9.6% of school shootings studied involved rifles, while shotguns were used in 5.9% of all school shootings. So 9.6, less than 10% of all school shootings involve a rifle of any kind. and it sets us off down the road of assault weapons ban and nobody needs and deer don't wear Kevlar vests and um, you don't you know, have nuclear weapons and F-15s to fight against your government, so you might as well just surrender them all. Um, the researchers argue that these findings should influence discussions around gun control policy, particularly in advocating for secure firearm storage to reduce adolescents' access to weapons. You know, it's interesting. um, One of the last hearings I was in uh, for HD 4420, I'm just gonna refer to that because everyone knows what it is. Um, They talked about uh, the kid at at, uh, Sandy Hook who got guns from his mom, but she left out the part that he killed his own mother. This guy was so... Sick and twisted, and demented, and evil, or all of the above, that he killed his own mother in order to get firearms so that he could go kill children. Think about that. That is a massive, massive oversight and depravity. And I would say if she knew her son was that sick and twisted and demented. Why did she still have guns in the house? There does come a time and a period of time where you got to do the right thing as a responsible person. If your kids could get access to the guns and they have evil in their heart and their intentions or they're severely um, hostile to human beings, you got to get them out of the gotta get them out of there. Forget that for one sec. Fast forward to yesterday's hearing. There was a woman, she's got a tragic story. Um, I want to talk about it with Steve Ixaros when he gets here. Um, But she, her husband shot her in the temple, killed her 17-year-old daughter in front of her and then took his own life all with a gun that she bought him. She said, I got him a Glock. He wanted a Glock. I got it for him. But she had said she lived with domestic abuse for 20 or 30 years before he did this. So the fact that he had guns and wanted another gun that she procured for him by the sounds of it through a straw purchase is like breaking every law known to man. And you want to blame me, the law abiding gun owner, the law abiding gun dealer and say, Hey, um, The fact of the matter is you broke the law and gave a gun to a domestic abuser in a way that was illegal, that could land you 10 years in jail and $10,000 fine. And then he used that gun to murder your daughter and shoot you in the temple and then take his own life. Tragic, horrible story. I'm not trying to dump gasoline on a fire. It's awful awful story that no one should ever have to go through but don't sit there and blame me the fact that i own guns responsibly and legally and lawfully um on the tragedy that happened to you that is a terrible situation and i i apologize um for you know having to bring up the obvious but that's really what what happens so back to the story um to use the word advocating there suggests they're not quite saying we should pass mandatory storage laws either which is good because i don't think those are really needed there are other steps that could be taken that would make far more sense yet the underlying findings here including that assault weapons are not the weapon used by most school mass shooters is that most of these guns are essentially stolen granted this study only looked at mass shootings involving adolescents in other words people who couldn't buy a gun lawfully even if they wanted to. So the fact that these weapons are stolen isn't all that surprising. We should take away from this, though, is to remind folks that even though they don't have kids, they should still lock their guns up, especially when family comes to visit. We still need gun safes, that kind of work versus some unfortunate alternatives, and we need to use them. Um, While this study doesn't seem to openly call for gun control measures, it's up to us to do what we can to reduce these kids access the guns. I'm not saying they won't find a way to get one anyway, but if we do our part right, we shouldn't see efforts to restrict our own rights. That's a great point, and I'll come back to that. If we're doing it anyway, why bother about worrying about a law? Because a law tells you that you must, regardless of the situation, you doing it voluntarily allows you to do it and adjust as needed. Still, this understanding of school mass shooters is useful and important, even if not totally shocking. So. I had a massive paradigm shift about this. By the way, um, which I'll talk about on the other side, but um, the truth of the matter is um, it's okay to change your mind about something. And uh, I'll give you the background on that when we get back. So don't go away. You're listening to rapid fire. I'm Toby Leary and we'll be right back after this short Federal ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's federal ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal ammunition, a century of innovation. And we're only getting started. Welcome back. 508-444-2120 is the number if you want to be on the line. 508-444-2120. We'll take your questions. We'll give preference to callers. We're going to get to the chat in a minute. I promise. Promise, promise, promise. Scout's honor. Cross my heart and all that good stuff. Um, But I'm Toby Leary. Thank you for joining us each and every week for Rapid Fire. It's the quickest two hours and on radio or on the internet, whatever the heck it is these days. Um, so um, the paradigm shift I had when I became a gun owner, when I was 18, I lived with my cousin who was a legal lawful gun owner as, as well. He had his license to carry before I did. And he owned guns. We had a, you know, a few friends over Weekly, but we stashed our guns in dressers and nightstands and places you wouldn't normally see. And we had a lock on our front door, back door, windows, which we were pretty vigorous about locking. And the front door was my safe, right? It was my gun safe the way I looked at it. And um, there were many a times when guns weren't, quote unquote, properly stored to today's standards. Um, But I didn't have little kids running around. I didn't have uh, friends of little kids running around. I didn't have any kids running around, frankly. And, um, you know, my bedroom was a protected area. Like You wouldn't just wander into my bedroom without being invited uh, for me to show you something or whatever. So I always viewed my front door as the lock. And I'd, I I was vehement about it. Like I lock my guns up. Yep, they're all locked up. That's what I would tell people. But the truth of the matter is they were locked in my house. Well, fast forward, you know, seven, eight, nine years when I have kids, I'm married and my kids have friends over the house. All of a sudden, you know, it was like even when my kids were first really young, one, two, three years old, I didn't even lock all my guns up then I locked like ninety percent of them, and I'd stage one or two in the house, but I would never chamber around. It was the only time I was big on not chambering around. I would make it so because I knew my three year old couldn't rack the slide and then wouldn't know how to shoot the gun anyway, but couldn't rack the slide to make it live. And in my house, i I figured I would have the time to rack the slide different from when I was carrying which I always carried around in the chamber. So the bottom line is it was still way up and out of sight, out of mind. But then when the kids got to be six, seven years old, five, six, four, five, six, and the laws changed to have serious consequences, um, I started to look at biometrics and quick access safes for staging the guns in the home. And mostly for not my kids, because I would test my own kids and I would set them up for failure. I would unload a gun, put it in a holster, leave it on the dining room table and watch from the living room while they played at the table. And then finally the their attention would focus on the gun on the table and be like, Oh, Dad, you gotta get your gun off the table. You left it on the table, Dad, you know, and oh, I'm sorry, son. Thank you for pointing that out. And I would get them and you know, give myself uh, the thumbs up and give them a pat on the back, say, good kid, boy, you did it right. You did right. You know, telling your dad. And I would do that every once in a while just to keep them honest. And that, so because they passed that test because of the parenting, um, at a very young age and taking the mystery of guns out of the, uh, out of there and and making it so that if they wanted to go to the range, if they wanted to see my guns, if they wanted to watch me clean them, they wanted to help me clean them, blah, blah, blah. they, they, I didn't hide them from them ever. Um, they were, they knew where they were. They not necessarily the guns I staged, but I also knew like from being a kid, you're going to find everything that's hidden in the house. So, um, (laughs) uh, and believe me, it's true. Um, so kids find whatever it is you try to hide from them. Right. So there's no reason to take that and, and, uh, hide it and pretend it doesn't exist. That's where tragedies happen. And the kids, um, the kids are you know have their friends over who are curious and don't have that same situation so i had that massive paradigm shift and i said you know in this day and age it's time to lock everything up under under lock and key and make sure that um make sure that the kids can't access it or try to show off with their friends or whatever and nowadays there's such good products there's you're not really hamstringing yourself You know, encumbering yourself. Uh, I never slept with the gun under my pillow anyway. Um, But uh, now I do believe in responsibility. Is with rights come responsibility. So lock them up. And uh, yeah, but that's the way it goes. Um, Bearing Arms also had a really good um, story by Cam Edwards today about yesterday's hearing, Um, and uh, talked about. some of the pro-gun and second amendment defenders uh, getting their chance to weigh in on it. And um, this is uh, pretty interesting because it talks about um, the anti-gunners, if you will, um, who, who basically um, have always had the, the one-sided story to tell. And yesterday that, that didn't happen. Um, so uh, I'm just going to read one quick thing here before going to your questions, but uh, there's st- stories unique to them, but shared by the now countless thousands of Americans who, whose lives have been shattered by gun violence were enough to break your heart. And it was, a clear that, it was clear that lawmakers on the panel had been touched by their testimony, but it took roughly two minutes of their impassioned pleas to run into the same roadblock that's been thrown in the way of every legislative effort to reduce gun violence, even in a state that is amongst the toughest gun laws in the country. That's how to fight crime and stop the bad guys while protecting the rights of gun owners who legally use their weapons for hunting and self-defense def- or sport. Um, the uh, it jumps ahead to where I'm jumping ahead to where Stephen Exarhos was quoted. Your testimony is heartfelt, and you should keep doing it, State Rep. Uh, Stephen G. Exarhos, Republican of the Fifth Barnstable. District and a former Yarmouth cop who lost an officer under his command told them. But how do we stop these people when there's no one there to stop them? Uh, State Senator John Valis uh, from Hamden, Hampshire County, whose district was rocked by a shooting on the streets of Holyoke in o- October that injured a pregnant woman and fatally wounded her baby who died at delivery after delivery relayed a conversation that he said he had with a retired judge. In two decades of hearing every variety of gun case, Bayless said he asked the retired judge how many had involved legal gun owners. His answer was one, he told his colleagues. So if it's not the legal gun owners who are driving violent crime in Massachusetts, but they were definitely the focus of Tuesday's hearing. Ironically, while lawmakers and anti-gun activists were demanding more restrictions on the rights of lawful citizens uh, in the name of public safety, WWP-LPV-TV, in Springfield was providing its viewers with an update on the record high number of homicides in the city this year something the city's mayor blames on repeat offenders not responsible gun owners 22 news spoke with David Mayor Dominic Sarno who says that common trend in these homicides is that they are committed by violent repeat offenders stop me if you've heard that before there's been an urban scourge across America. And again, I'm going to continue to make a claration of call to a clarion call to our court systems and some of the judges that some of these individuals, these repeat violent criminal offenders, need to be off our streets and out of our neighborhoods, said Sarno. Sarno says he's going to continue to urge the courts and judges to continue to file his bail reform legislation to keep violent repeat offenders off the streets of Springfield. Amen to that. Um, It's not the gun owners or even the Second Amendment that's the roadblock to increase public safety in Massachusetts. It's the myopic approach that taken by lawmakers and the gun control lobby that focuses almost exclusively on legal gun ownership that's the blame. Fighting crime by going after peaceful citizens is like trying to reduce alcohol abuse by going after people who mostly drink coffee or tea, but occasionally enjoy a beer or a glass of wine. If you have four hours to spare, you can check out the entire hearing. We'll be talking more about the hearing itself, as well as some of the bills up for discussion Thursday's bearing arms, cam and co with Mike Harris of the gun owners action league. While Misick didn't bother to include any of Gold's testimony executive director, Jim Wallace spent more than a half an hour giving testimony and answering questions from lawmakers. Um, so yeah, that would be worth going back and looking at, um, is if you did if you missed the hearing, watch Jim Wallace's testimony. Um, uh, let's see here. Blockhead says, I hope everyone is going well. Stay blessed and safe. Question for me. How many firearms do I have to purchase to not keep getting a denial or have to wait? Thank you. Um, it's never gonna happen, blockhead. So you're always gonna if you get a denial or a, or a delay every time you're going to always get a delay. I would definitely appeal, um, not appeal, apply for a a U-PIN. So a federal U-PIN is a very, very important um, thing to have. So get that for sure. And uh, good to see you, G-Webs. ASD is wondering about what happened last week when the, the show disappeared half hour, you know, In the last half hour, I have a feeling it was my gun of the week segment, um, which I'm probably not going to air right now as I normally would at the bottom of the hour or the top of the hour, I should say, um, because I want to get Steve Ixaros in here and and have his part of the show aired. Um, I'm tempted. Well, actually, you know what? I probably will do it before he comes on because I could always restart, but that's that's a tough one. I have a feeling though, that it was the gun of the week is why I got bounced, but I can't I can't tell. They never gave me any indication. They never told me why. They never even mentioned it on the whole. Um, they never gave me a feedback. I, I even uh, appealed, if you will. i i I contacted them and said, "Hey, what gives my my, uh, oh, wait, I lied. Here it is. Um, <laughs> let me just see here. Your content rapid fire 152 is removed due to a violation of our community guidelines. We realize you may not have known this was a violation, so you did not get a warning or. Um, I can't even see the whole thing. Um, Let me see. We found something that may violate YouTube's guideline, now it's may violate it, to help to keep the community safe. Um, this isn't a strike. Uh, in the next two steps, we'll ask you to take a look at your content and the policy. Okay, let's, let's see what this is. Um, we listed any problems we found, but make sure your content follows all policies, not just the ones identified. YouTube does not allow, yeah, live streams showing someone holding, handling, or transporting a firearm. Channels not in compliance with this policy may temporarily lose their ability to live stream. Yeah, and it was an hour in, uh, so the, um, I'm just going to submit the appeal and see what happens, but it wasn't, I wasn't handling the weapon live. It was a recorded section, and so for that reason, I'm not going to do this week's Gun of the Week video because I don't want to lose this episode. So um, at least now I know that's what I guessed happened, but um, I'm not going to risk it on this show because I want to make sure that we get our guest on. Um, Let's see darts is saying it'd be happy if they just got rid of the mag capacity restrictions and assault weapons ban. Yeah, obviously those are the two biggest things that are affecting us here in Massachusetts. Um, The approved pistol roster is another one though. I can't live with. And I got to tell you, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot figuratively, not literally, not literally, when they do away with the licensing requirements, when they do away with the mass assault weapons ban, when they do away with the approved weapons roster. How? Well, I make money on the, the license to carry classes that we offer. It's probably our number one training class we do. And we make money off it, you know. And I don't try to hide that fact. That is a big tenant of our organization is training um however i would much rather lose that revenue the government mandated revenue and teach people how to shoot their guns safely and efficiently that would be a much better use of your tax dollars or your after tax dollars i should say um so that's one of the things the second thing uh yeah i, I get paid to do pin and welds and fix mags and pin guns. But I will say it's probably more of an inconvenience than a moneymaker for us. We probably break even on that. I'd much rather be able to buy and own all the pre uh, ban free America stuff that everybody else has. Um, that is an obvious infringement on the Constitution. And thirdly, uh, the the um, approved weapons roster, not that I wouldn't I would lose money in this regard. It's just easier to only sell a certain amount of guns than all guns. Think about for me having the stock and I'm just being honest with you guys. Not that I want any of these restrictions to carry on. I'm just showing you how when freedom comes back, it'll hurt me more than you would think. Uh, And because Right now, I can't stock Sky pistols and Kimbers and Glocks and everything else under the sun, fill in the blank. And I promise you, once I can sell every gun under the sun, it's going to be tough to compete because, A, you got the internet. B, um, I can't possibly stock every gun known to man. There's 20, 30, 40, well, there's probably or 15 manufacturers out there that i won't even be able to um that i don't stock that i will need to stock and they have hundreds of variants of their guns so there's uh you know going to be a serious adjustment period and you know if the guy up the road has the one i don't have they're going to go to the guy up the road right that's the way the free market works so the the restrictions on the Second Amendment have probably benefited me more than uh, hurt me. However, freedom has been hurt catastrophically. And that is way more important to me than whatever revenue I can possibly get. So Steve's saying they didn't even listen to me yesterday. Well, they heard me. Whether they listened or not, they heard. And it's funny because I watched their faces and then, you know, as it starts getting heavy, they kind of turn off, turn away and start doodling on their pad. Um, they weren't certainly writing down questions to ask me, but that's OK. They heard. They heard what they had to hear. Um, it's a waste of time to an effort to repeatedly tell them that crooks won't obey new gun laws. They know this. They simply hate guns and don't care if decent people cannot have them. True story. All right, let's go to the phones. I think we got Don in Stoughton here. Um, hello, hello, hello. Hey, Don, how you doing?
0: Hey, Toby. <laughs> I loved your testimony. Yeah, it I was thought you might. On my friend,
1: you might have heard, seen some of that oh, before.
0: No. <laughs> Do we have any questions? And the silence is deafening. (laughs) Well, when I pose questions to them, Toby, by email, guess what? The silence is deafening. Yeah. Uh, My representatives won't answer. uh, Michael Day won't answer. The Speaker of the House won't answer. So I wrote to the President of the Senate, and she says, well, I am not your elected official. So I wrote her back saying, you're the President of the Senate, and my elected officials refuse to respond to the questions. I pose to them, and they're very simple questions. I mean, unless James Madison, who wrote the Constitution, was incorrect about constitutional limitations. So let me ask you, Madam President, where do you get the authority to write laws upon lawful citizens possessing firearms? And the silence is deafening, Mm. so they can't answer. Yeah, so you you were spot on. I I was rooting and cheering here, so it was too funny. (laughs) Thank you.
1: No problem. Glad to do it. and thanks for a lot of the research you've done over the years on that uh, Don it's it's very helpful. Um, and you know, you pointed out stuff that I knew intuitively but didn't know where to go to get the information. So I app- I appreciate you put it sending me some of that information. And you know when when rights are treated like privileges, that's when it gets very frustrating as as gun owners.
0: So, okay. Last quick point. Yep. um I always ask them, well, why does Massachusetts have to like these gun laws? Are the federal gun laws defective, and why can't we fix them? And again, Toby, the silence is deafening. Yeah.
1: Well, you bring up a great point, yeah. and
0: uh, I'll I'll talk about
1: it after um, we hang up. But yeah, it, you're right. They, the sad thing is, they know it and they do it anyways. In business, yeah, that's called fraud.
0: Uh, You noticed.
1: Yeah, they're defrauding Americans. And uh, they need to be held accountable.
0: They're they're expending taxpayer money for no useful constructive purpose that is supported by the Constitution. Right. Amen. Yep. All right, brother. All right, Toby. Thanks, man. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. Good night.
1: Yep. Bye-bye. So one of the things, and I tried to get this all out on the Grace Curley Show, but we went up against a hard break, um, was that Jim Wallace and his testimony talked about in 1998, there were two and a half million gun owners in Massachusetts. It's before the mass exodus, two and a half million licensed gun owners in Massachusetts. They passed comprehensive gun control legislation in 1998 gun control act of 1998. Crime, violent crime with a firearm has increased since 1998 to 2023 111%, but here's the kicker. We only have 600,000 licensed gun owners in Massachusetts now. A third of what we had in 1998, and violent crime with a firearm has gone up 111%. Has nothing to do with the legal lawful gun owner. Everything to do with the soft on crime revolving door justice system, and lack of chutzpah to lock violent criminals away for long periods of time and not let them out. It's very simple, very simple uh, problem to solve. I spoke to um, Chief McDonald from Plymouth County Sheriff's Department, who is the Administrator of the Plymouth County House of Correction. And th- he said that his jail can house 1,200 inmates in Plymouth County. And guess how many inmates are there right now? And by the way, he's the last sheriff that still works with ICE in Massachusetts, Immigration and Customs. The last one. He said with all of the people in holding for Immigration and Customs Enforcement and everyone's sentenced, he has about 300 inmates in Plymouth County House of Correction. Therein lies the problem, folks. It's not because there's any lack of violent felons walking the street on any given day. And the police are doing their job to lock them up only to see them, hey, how'd you get out so quick? Because soft on crime, you know, judges and uh, prosecutors are cutting deals, letting them right back out on the streets. All right, guys, you're in for a very special treat. We got Representative Steven Ixaros in the house. So he will be joining us right after the break. So don't go away. Uh, we will be right back. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal punch defensive hollow point ammunition here at Cape Gunmark. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapidfire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapidfire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. All right. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense sponsored by the USCCA and Vortex Optics. I'm Toby Leary, your host, and I am really excited to be joined live in the studio uh, with the Fighting Fifth Barnstable District's State Representative, Stephen Ixaros. Representative, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time.
2: It's my honor, brother. I'm proud to be here from the Fighting Fifth in West Barnstable, Sandwich, and Bourne. 45,000 citizens I get to serve and represent. I'm honored to do it and proud to be with you. And I want to thank you for coming to Boston yesterday uh, through virtual and in the past to testify uh, with these firearms laws that most of them make no sense and actually make us less safe. And, you know, me being a former police officer, I know firsthand what works on, on safety. And I just appreciate you always keeping this issue in front of us uh, so we can make the smart decisions. Mm,
1: Yeah. Well, just for the sake of our listeners, why don't you uh, give everybody the background, what it is uh, you did for your career. You talk about being a police officer. Why don't you give us a little uh, cameo of that? And then uh, what led you to the statehouse?
2: Thank you. That's a great question. I'm a kid that was born and raised in the city of New Bedford, lived in a three-decker tenement in a poor neighborhood. My parents went to work every day, and my Greek grandmother kind of watched us uh, when we were little. Uh, We worked hard, my dad and mom. um, He was in the military. My grandfather was in the military. We're Greek immigrants and grew up in the city of New Bedford. And I saw a lot of uh, bad things as a young child in a tough city, mm. but I also saw good. And it, it taught me a good lesson as a young boy and came to uh, Cape Cod because my aunt lived in Sandwich and I wanted to be a police officer. And I was going to go to uh, Bristol community college in, New- in fall river. Cause that's where kind of I come from. And she said, no tiger. That was my nickname. You come to live with me on the Cape and you can go to Cape Cod Community College and be a police officer on the Cape. And that was 45 years ago. And that's my first time ever on the Cape was to become go to Cape Cod Community College, which I'm very proud of, a state-run school that doesn't cost that much money, and uh, graduated, became a Yarmouth police officer at age 19. Uh, I was a summer cop like many others back in the day uh, with a full head of hair and a mustache and tinted glasses. And we worked on the beaches and we kind of looked like cops, but we really didn't have much training. We carried guns and that's the way they did it back in the day. And uh, thank God I was hired full time and worked, as you said, like for 40 years, uh, from a summer cop to a patrol officer, to a school resource officer Mm -hmm. for seven years, to a detective, a sergeant, a lieutenant, and deputy chief. Mm -hmm. And it was when I was a um, deputy chief um, that a tragedy happened that led me to be here today. And that was when I sent Sean Gannon and a total of seven police officers and a dog named Nero on a mission to get a violent criminal who had 125 prior charges in Massachusetts. I will never say his name. Mm. His name is 125. We knew he was violent. Uh, We were told he had guns. So here's someone with 125 prior crimes, which is normal in Massachusetts. Uh, Police are not allowed to tell anyone's record because that's private. So people don't realize how many people have records. And there are people that make mistakes. They learn their lesson and they live their lives and they're good people. But when you've done it 125 times, that's a criminal. That's a a career Career, criminal. And there's our problem. And we'll talk about that. But it was that day, April 12th, 2018, I was the deputy chief. We sent seven officers and Nero to find this violent criminal, 125 charges, had guns illegally. We were told he was selling fentanyl, killing people. Like really one of the worst people out there. Mm. Record a mile long, violent criminal, out on the loose, selling fentanyl, poisoning our children and families with guns illegally. Mm. And it They went to one home. uh, Nobody was there. They went to another home in Marston's Mills, broad daylight. Someone that was there said that person wasn't there, lied. A lot of people lie, especially to the police. And these seven officers and the dog went in the house, which was a ranch, and they searched the house, the basement, first floor, and the attic, and found no one. And that's what a lot of people don't know. We couldn't talk about it because the trial was going on. But now that it's over, um, they went back in the second time. Sean said, look, I didn't get to see that much in the attic. It was dark and they had put an addition on, so we need to go back. So they lifted these three wonderful officers up because it was a crawl space. There's no stairs. They picked them up, put them up in the attic and narrow. And on their hands and knees, They searched that house for the second time. And that's when these horrible shots rang out. Mm. The first shot hit Sean in the head, um, horrible damage. And the second shot when Nero went to defend his officers hit him right in the head too. Mm. And the best that those officers could do at the time was drag Sean's body out. They fell out of the hatch. And um, the other officers that were in the house came to their rescue. They got Sean out. Brave, you know, EMTs and paramedics from Calm, Senneville Hospital Marston's Mills responded. They went into a shooting situation. They risked their lives to save Sean. Treated him, put him in an ambulance, and got him to the hospital. But poor Nero was trapped in the attic with the murderer. And, uh, I was there and and the SWAT team came and it took a few hours to negotiate with this criminal that had just killed a police officer and shot a dog who texted his girlfriend. I just killed a cop. Um, but he came out with his hands up and the SWAT team and I, and there must've been 50 weapons pointed at him. Hmm. And we did our job. We arrested him and, He was taken to the jail. But then the big moment was, where was Nero? Mm. And was there more shooters in that house? Just because there's one doesn't mean there's not 10. Mm. And I was there when they used the armored vehicle. So when anyone's out there that hears, well, police don't need uh, uh, AR-15s, and they don't need armored equipment, yes, they do, because we deal with violent people. Mm. Most people are not like that, but there are people like that. So they rammed the building and the SWAT team went in. The next thing I saw was one of our officers carrying this poor dog, bleeding to death but still alive. Hmm. He had been swallowing his blood for three hours to keep his airway open. And nobody, I was there when no one would help him. All the EMTs, all the paramedics, all the empty ambulances. No one was allowed to help a dog because in Massachusetts, it was against the law to use your skills as an EMT and paramedic to treat a dog and put it in an ambulance. So they were stuck. They all wanted to help, but they couldn't. So there were ATF agents there. Federal agents had come to our rescue, and they they gave first aid to, to Nero because they're federal agents, hmm. and they don't need to follow Massachusetts law. That helped keep him alive. And then Dr. Khan, who's a real doctor, uh, part of the SWAT team helped keep him alive. And Peter McClellan and Troy Perry, they put him in a police car and they drove him to the vet. And six days later, I was there when Nero walked out skinny as a rail. And we had Sean's cruiser because Sean's cruiser was going to take him home.
1: Hmm.
2: And I was there when Nero came out and he, locked on to Sean's cruiser, he saw, and he was looking for Sean. Mm. So that moment um, propelled me to do more. I had already lost my son in the war, Nicholas, killed in combat at age 21. And you've been very helpful with that ever since day one. So many others have. And now I lost kind of another brother in violence, Uh, Rep. Um, Crocker and a whole team of people created Nero's bill. They filed it, but like most bills, they it didn't pass. 7,000 bills get filed every two years. It didn't pass. They did their best. Uh, and then I said, I need to leave. And I gave up on the job that I loved mm-hmm. for 40 years. That's enough. Um, there's others that can do it and they're doing a great job. I ran for office. As a Republican in Massachusetts, mm. and because of support from people from all parties—Democrat, Republican, and unenrolled—you know we won. Mm. We worked hard and we won, and we re, we we tweaked the bill, we filed it again, and I was relentless mm. to pass that bill. And and uh, it brings me to today, but on April twelfth, twenty. 22 four years to the day of this horrible tragedy the loss of sean gannon the shooting of a dog governor baker came to yarmouth police headquarters and in front of 50 police dogs and police officers um, fellow elected officials uh, and especially sean's mother and father and widow Hmm. and nero He signed the law in the building that we built in Sean's memory. And that's how laws get made. Um, You need people with passion to, to fight for them. And you need people with passion to fight against them when they're wrong. And that's where I'm at today. I am on the Public Safety Committee. I'm on the Veterans Affairs Committee. I'm on the Mental Health and Substance Abuse Committee. And I'm on the Ways and Means Committee, which is the committee that pays for everything. And I'm, I love doing it, I love right. serving. But when it comes to the firearms things, this state is doing it backwards. Right. We're, we're, we're trying to punish law-abiding citizens that have had background checks, that are trained and willing to carry a weapon to defend themselves, their families, and you know what, a stranger. Right. they're willing to do it yeah and they should and the Second Amendment allows us to do that but we have people that want to create safe zones we have people that want to stop that and you need people like you and me hmm. to stand up and just tell the truth yeah and it, it's it's working but it's a lot of work and that's why I thank you for coming to the State House and for yesterday spending hours willing waiting to testify it does matter Mm. because a lot of times what we hear we only hear one side of the story right we don't hear the other side because you're busy working right right? uh so when you take time to do it and people that are listening when you take time to send an email to your rep your senator it matters and we got to keep doing it
1: so a couple a couple things there to unpack yes sir um number one i remember the day very well because um all those animals that are in the in the uh film out there in my dorm in yes, like on the
2: wall yes sir
1: i had just picked them up from a house in falmouth and uh a, a gentleman wanted me to have him he he's passed away wow. but he, it was a lifetime of big game hunting and he wanted them on display at my shop and uh so i was driving from falmouth and I see cruisers everywhere happening. Like I I said, Oh my gosh, something's going on. Yeah. By the time I got back to the shop, um, we had the news on and we had heard what was going on. Uh, I actually had a friend, uh, a friend of the show too, uh, Rob Pincus, actually the guy who designed that pistol over your left shoulder. Uh, He, he created that Avidity arms PD 10 pistol. He's devoted his life to law enforcement and, personal defense, training people in the safe and efficient use of firearms. probably a top five instructor in the world. Wow, not not the country. The wow world. that's he, awesome. he teaches all over the world. but he texted me forty five minutes after it happened and said, "Did you lose an officer today?" And I said, yeah, I just found out. and uh, he's, you know on top of that type of thing. He was a cop and and uh, so it was it, it shook shook us to the core, yeah. you know, it really did but it also enraged us yes knowing as more information started to come out that he was a felon in possession with 30 prior gun charges yes and you know under the current law he could have been doing 45 years in jail or just the if they had applied those laws uh, the 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 sentencing concurrently with the each charge right 30 prior possessions, a year and a half, he could have done for each one of those. 45 years in jail. He he should have been serving. But instead he got out in three and a half years. Yeah.
2: Toby, Sean Gannon should be on patrol tonight. Right. With Nero. Yeah. He was 32 years old. He was murdered by someone that should have been locked up. Right. Um, Sean gave his life. Um by Sean losing his life, giving his life, he saved lives because that guy would have killed someone else. Hmm. So now he's locked up where he should be. I hope he never gets out. Remember, he was convicted of second-degree murder, which was a bad decision by the jury, in my opinion. That was first-degree murder. Uh, So we have to live with the thought that that person could get out Hmm. in 40 years. But I don't think like that. I focus on Sean, his wife, his family, and making things better. But he should have been in prison and this never should have happened. And we can't forget that. So when I testify like yesterday, I'll talk about that. What does a passing a safe gun zone where you think that um, we should not be able to carry a gun into a polling place? someone testified yesterday that uh, the reason why she was for it was she's tired of seeing people with guns standing outside of polling places, intimidating others. And I said, where does that happen? Where have you ever seen that in your life? Especially in Massachusetts, that's never happened. Uh, So but that's what they said. And there's no one there to say anything else except people like us. So we nicely give the other side of the story. But in some people's mind, having no guns in polling places, in schools, in libraries, in in like a list of mile long places is going to keep us safer. Right. And it will not, as you know, and I know. Uh, there are evil people out there. Some are mentally ill. Right. And just because you're mentally ill doesn't mean it gives you, like, okay to kill somebody. Right. There are people that struggle and they, they live with it. But there's others that are just bad people. Yeah. And there's a lot. Humans right. do horrible things. You know, as a cop, I've seen so much. of yeah. I've seen people beaten to a pulp where I don't even recognize them yeah. by their boyfriend. Right they do horrible things and we need people like us to defend them Um, and so cops do that and and good people that remember i think i know your listeners know but remember there's people out there in massachusetts that don't know that you have to get a license to have a gun you have to have a background check like we do everything. Mm. Now, other states don't, and maybe that's good too. But Massachusetts, a lot of times you'll hear people say, we should have background checks. Well, we already do. We should have safe storage. We already do. Right. We've done it all. What we haven't done is locked people up that deserve to be locked up. Right. And I don't mean that in a cruel way, but when you are a career violent criminal, You've lost your ability to walk the streets. Right. You've been convicted. You need to be in prison. Why? Because the
1: public needs to be protected from you. Absolutely, I think it's the duty of good people to do the make the hard choices that would make us safer by doing just that, locking up those type of people so that they can't go on to reoffend. Um, I've been working on a theory. I'd love to get your opinion on it because it's probably um, not something that everyday people think of, but if, if you think about it, it makes sense, but you got to go beyond the surface. And it is very simple. That is and Massachusetts is a perfect case study of this. And that is if I can't trust you with a gun, then I can't trust you to be on the streets. If you think about it, a gun is a tool. If you're that, if you have that proclivity or that propensity for evil or for human harm, then the one tool is irrelevant. I can get in a 7,000 pound car and go run people over in a Christmas day parade. Which they do. Right. Yep. And or I can get knives. Yes. I can That's- get baseball bats. Yes. I can get you know chains and whips and ninjas and throwing stars and flaming cats. Yes. And I can go out and commit all kinds of acts of evil. Yes. The problem is they've now made this. They want to make this like no fly list with guns yes. and you know people who have like uh, they have a, a nonviolent felony from when they were 19 years old. Now they're a prohibited person for life. Like no other lot, no other rights are hanging by a thread like that.
2: Good point. I have a friend, he's a Marine veteran. And when he was young, he did something stupid, like many of us. And he got something like a stolen rock or something like landscape thing as a joke. Like, and he got arrested. So he's a convicted felon. And 30 years later, he can't get a gun permit. And he's a, you know, a wonderful human being. So there are appeal processes. We're trying to help him with that. But um, another point to your point, uh, we have active shooter training, right? Uh, for schools and, and places. We don't even call it that anymore. You shouldn't call it active shooter training because it should be called active killer. There are people that they're evil or they're deranged. They'll kill you. But they can stab you. They can run you over, like you said. So the police officer's mindset can no longer be, wow, it's active shooter, shooter, shooter. I got to, like, listen for gunshots. No, it can be anything. So the mindset has to change that. It's active killer training. There are people out there that can do horrible things. And most people are good, but there are some bad ones. And it only takes one. But it only takes one good guy with a gun that can stop it. And that's where I will never vote for gun-free zones. It's not a good idea. And we really just have to focus on our criminal justice system and not let things get plea bargained. And when you are a career criminal, almost target them in in the criminal justice system. And if they've done something wrong and they get convicted, they need to be punished. Right. You can't get the slap on the wrist. You can't bundle cases. You do 30 break-ins and you get charged with one Yeah, because they made a deal. Like right. I understand that world, but that's wrong. Right. It's creating, Toby, people fear court, like a, a regular law-abiding citizen. They fear it. We should. We don't want to go to court. We don't get in trouble. But what happens with these career criminals, they realize, oh my God, don't fear it. It's it, if you are a criminal, you just kind of keep doing it until eventually you either grow out of it or you get put away. But
1: in the meantime, you can do a million things. Right. Well, you know, earlier in the show, before you came in the first hour, we were talking about a study that was just recently released about two, the 253 school shootings that have happened in our country. Um, I think it was 70. 2% of them are done with handguns, but yet and less than 10%, 9.8% are done with rifles of any kind. But yet we have all this talk about ban and assault weapons, ban and guns. It's always, as I mentioned yesterday in my testimony, it's a constant solution in search of a problem, really. And you have some experience, and I I applaud you, number one, for taking that deviation in your career. That might uh have uh, I think it was probably some of the most valuable uh, time spent in your careers, those seven years as a school resource officer. And I said that was 252 times too many to, after the first school shooting. It should have never happened again. That's right. We should have made significant, significant inroads to harden the target, to arm uh, whoever, you know, guards or police officers or or anyone who wants to be armed as a, like anyone who works at the mobile station can choose to carry a gun, but yet they work at a school. They can't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't
2: make sense. And, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Can I talk about that for a second? Yeah. Yes. So I was a patrol officer and I love being in uniform. I love always being a police officer. They had this idea school resource. No one even knew what it was, but, uh, the principal of sandwich high school had seen it. He got hired in DY and he said to the Yarmouth police chief, I want a school resource officer. And I didn't even apply. They had seven people apply. They interviewed them. It was wonderful. I just wanted to be a cop, you know, and it wasn't the right fit. They didn't think. So they came to me and say, Steve, like you, we think you are the right person for this. It's never been done before. Never. And we think it's your personality that we need you know i said no i don't i'm a police i want to be a cop you know i want to go on patrol and and they said could you just try it you know so i interviewed with the principal god bless him, and the superintendent those two people changed uh, the course of history on cape cod they had the idea of a school resource officer. They pushed for it, they interviewed, they found me, and on Friday I was on patrol, on Monday I was in DY as a school resource officer. No training, nothing. And they didn't want me to have a gun. Uh, the public didn't like it, you know, you shouldn't have a police officer in the school. Some of the teachers didn't like it. But the superintendent and the principal knew it was a good idea. And yes, Steve's gonna have a gun cause that he's a police officer. But I would go in in regular clothes and I'd have my gun concealed, that's how we started. And on day one, it was a home run. And I got to meet these kids who feared the police and thought they were all bad and kind of the cops kind of thought teenagers were all troublemakers, right? But now you're with each other every day and you realize we're all just people. And I'm not a guard standing at the door. I'm walking and talking. I'm lifting weights with the guys. I'm having lunch with people. And you build that relationship just like you would in any world. And it went from a fear of the police to a family.
1: Well, I very special. I, I gotta say, Steve, that um before I even met you, I had heard about you in your capacity as a school resource officer because of friends i had that grew up in dennis and yarmouth i grew up in dennis so i went to tech i didn't go to dy i would have been there when you were there Uh and uh but i was at the tech school and uh uh, a bunch of my friends spoke of you with the highest regard and they weren't they were probably the ones that were on your radar. You <laughs> yep, know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> they yep. weren't the ones that like were just carrying their book back to <laughs> and from class every yes. day, waving in the hall. They were the ones that you would have had to roll up the sleeves a yes. little bit and figure out what was going on with these guys and and get your hands a little dirty and, yes. and dig. And to this day, they all hold you in the highest wow. regard. And and uh, they are they are like, man, this guy was a stand up guy. He, put, you know, put, he didn't, he didn't just uh, treat us like some off scouring of the earth. He he invested in, in our lives. And that made a, made a big impact. Yeah.
2: I, I told thank, I did not know that about your, you and, and, but that is what it's about. It's, right. it's, it's really just being a good person and doing your job. I was firm, but I was friendly and, there were fights in the hallways. They had gangs, everything in the high school right. in 1987. Hmm. And uh, within about a month, that all stopped. And to your point, um, now those kids are like in their 40s or right. maybe older, and I'm meeting their I, One of those kids, uh, I'm meeting with her son who wants to be a Marine now. That's and awesome. so it's amazing, but one other story... It's amazing. I uh, One of my medical friends, they have a successful medical business on the Cape, two brothers. And when I see them, they say, Officer X, you you saved our lives. Mm. And I said, what are you talking about? The, you remember the day these two brothers were going to fight after a, a game. Mm. And I, when you're there and it's your turf, you can tell when it's just joking around or when it's going to be bad. Whereas a cop from off the street doesn't know that. So you build that relation i saw these two kids going the wrong way i stopped them and they never got in trouble and they remember it now like 30 years later mm-hmm. now they're in the medical field but they wouldn't have been if they fought and got in trouble that day right so you you there's things that you don't measure but you change lives and it's wonderful mm-hmm. so imagine me now as a state rep there's a bill that someone filed taking all the school resource officers out of all the schools. That's an actual bill filed by someone from Western uh, Mass. And that's the stupidest thing you could ever do in 2023. There are 300 police officers that are fully trained in massachusetts if you are a school resource officer you're not just a police officer that they pick and put in you have to go to a special school for school resource officer so you're a certified sro they love the kids they build that relationship they keep people safe not only the kids the teachers too mm. and they build these bonds they break down the barriers it works and here's a bill that takes them all out unbelievable uh, wrong so i testified against it and i have my own bill That puts a school resource officer in every school in the Commonwealth. Yes. And when you mention, you talk about keeping people safe and stopping someone with a knife or a gun or whatever, hurting kids, innocent kids, put a cop there. Mm. And does it cost money? Yeah, it does. But passing another gun law does nothing. Yeah. Putting a police officer there that wants to be there, that's fully trained, changes lives. I don't, the money has, it can be found. We spend money every day foolishly and that's one to keep people safe and it should be done and I'll never stop pushing that bill. And anyone that's listening, if you agree, like just let me know because we need to stand up, number one, to stop like a bad bill mm. and to push a good bill. And when people say we need to pass more gun laws, that does not keep kids safer. Mm. Uh, you need an officer there that knows what they're doing to build that relationship, to keep us safe. We guard our, our airports, but we don't guard our schools. Right,
1: yeah, it's crazy. Yes. All right, well, <laughs> this is a fascinating conversation. We're gonna continue it on the other side of the break. Uh, we're talking with Representative Stephen Ixaros, who is from the 5th Barnstable District, my
2: that's right, state rep, so I'm proud <laughs> to say that. Uh,
1: and we will be right back after this, don't go away. I'm Toby Leary. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapidfire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapidfire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. All right. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. Thank you for joining us. This has been a fascinating discussion with uh, Representative Steve Ixaros. here, former Yarmouth cop, uh, gold star father. We haven't even touched on that. Um, we support one of his charities with our top shot invitational that we do a couple times a year and, uh, really excited to partner up with him on that. And, uh, you know, your stories aren't just stories. They're they're experiences, which definitely have way more impact. And yesterday at the, at the hearing, Um, you heard, and I know you made connections with some of those women who testified on the other side, um, because they have stories too. And some of those stories are heartbreaking, and they're horrible tragedies that no one should have to endure and go through. And, uh, you know, I I can tell that you, um, as a representative, frankly, I think you uh, connect with so many people better than most, because Mm -hmm you've been through some stuff let's yes. put it that way yes and you're empathetic you're um you're a good listener you're um you know what the human tragedy looks like and how it feels and better than anyone and i can't even begin to understand that um you know the bible talks about a uh scripture it's in it's in the book of esther when she was Going to be basically saving the jewish people from the threat of haman the guy who was going to basically do the first holocaust on the jewish people Mm -hmm. and her husband uh didn't know she was jewish and so she had to go into a situation where um, if the the king wouldn't receive her that if he put lowered his scepter they would have killed her on the spot even though he was she was the queen um, that was just a protocol that you, you know, he, you just didn't walk into the King's uh, affairs when he was conducting business without being invited. And she had to do it because time was of the essence and her uncle uh, Mordecai said, you have been put in this time, in this place for such a time as this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's all I can think of sometimes when I see you uh, in the position you're in, Representative Ixaros, it's, um, you know, God has risen you up. You've gone through some things. You've gone through a desert place. You've gone through horrible tragedy. And, but it's, it's for such a time as this. There's few people that are the voice of reason in the Massachusetts Statehouse right now, in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, uh, the rights that this country was founded on, our, our founding fathers gave all. They pushed all their chips into the center of the table. They gave their fortunes, their families, their lives in some cases. And to see these things so quickly stripped away with the introduction of a bill that is meaningless to this person, they would never do the same for, for what it is that they're proposing they would never give their fortune their families or their lives on the, for the same thing. And when you think about the the implications of this this state this country's in, never mind the state of Massachusetts. There's so much work to be done. And we need good people. In in the comments I've already had some people say why can't this guy be governor? Oh wow! So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh you know uh people are resonating with your stories we're connecting with you uh you're here for such a time as this and uh yesterday was one of those times and i thought that you had some great questioning uh yesterday when someone who you know we already talked about was Mm. very scared to be around guns yeah and they said i ironically they talked about going through a constitutionally protected um activity such as voting but they wanted the other constitutionally protected activity which is bearing arms to be excluded as they exercise their right they wanted my rights to be excluded Um, how can we help you do your job number one and number two with the fight that's coming in the senate uh, how can we make a difference.
2: Thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you for what you said. I never heard that. Um, but I feel like I'm in the position where God put me. Because it's, it's the story, the journey has been horrible in, in many ways, but beautiful in others. And I try to use my experiences to just do good work. I'm a Republican, um, but it's not always about politics or party, it's about service. And I serve and protect 45,000 people. Mm. And I'm part of a Commonwealth of Massachusetts, which is 8 million people. And I'm one of the chosen few that gets to serve and I'm elected, it's a beautiful thing. Um, And I don't take it lightly. Um, So I use my heart, my experience to do the right thing and fear no one. When you're doing the right thing, it can be hard because it may not be popular, but it's the right thing. And how you can help, you know, go follow me on social media. The more the people can see, the better because I post things that people need to know about, like hearings that are happening Mm -hmm. and how to testify. And the other way is get involved with your government. Um, We can't sit on the sidelines. It's better to find someone that you support and help them. Um, and it's better to get involved by testifying on these bills, because oftentimes uh, people don't in government don't have the experiences I have. So they're listening to only one side of the story. And those people that come in, they have these horrible stories. Mm. Uh, another one is addiction. And they'll talk about my son or my child died, you know, so they want to have um Uh, Safe injection sites, which is a bad idea. Mm. But these parents are struggling to find something. And I would say to them, no, that's a bad idea. Let's work on getting more places where people can get help, Uh, spend the money there. And when someone goes to the hospital on overdose, don't let them walk out. They're letting them walk out when they're not really thinking clearly. They need to be held until we can help them. Stuff like that. So people have tragedies. Sometimes they don't know what to do about it. How you can help me, support me, please. Mm. Uh, if you have a question on why I voted some way, ask. Like, it's really simple. Uh, I can give you the answers. But also get involved and follow the stuff like you did, Toby. Because mm. And vote. I have friends that say, you know, I don't even vote it's not worth it. I'm like, Oh my God, no, you got to vote. And, you know, vote for the person that you believe in. What's the mission? What's their platform? Find that person. There's, there's others out there. Remember there are 200 elected officials in the Commonwealth that serve the state, 160 state reps and 40 senators. They all got elected and in their parts of the Commonwealth, there could be different issues. Some come from the cities, come from the country, but we come together and we, we're supposed to work together to do the right thing. Mm. And that's where my heart is.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, that's great. And that's what we need. Now the house passed uh H4139, which I was there the day that happened. And um the you by the way gave a great speech that day. Um and uh we talked about, you know, figuring out a way to get that message out. Um that's right. And and uh the they voted for it anyway um the sad thing is uh I, we felt like as gun owners that our our voice wasn't heard cuz there was this listening tour where they stopped up their ears and uh, <laughs> uh i don't know who they were listening to but it certainly wasn't the average person at these listening tour events speaking and um the the bottom line is um they passed it anyway it's on to the senate what is your feeling about what's going to happen in the Senate? Number one. And, and uh, you know, 40 people is a lot fewer uh, people to, to contact and, and talk to. And we have 141 police chiefs that opposed this bill.
2: No 400. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. 400. uh,
1: What is it? 451. Yes. yes, To zero. Yeah. Yeah. 451 to zero. And they, they, opposed this bill. And so, uh, you know, what is your feeling that the Senate will do? Are they going to write their own bill? Are they going to try and reconcile the two? Are they going to uh, just take this one and, and vote on it? Um, do you have any in- inkling?
2: I do Uh great point. So we, we can't give up Remember, you your elected officials, first of all, know who they are. I have people reaching out to me, but they live in uh, East Ham or they live in, um, Cohasset, you know, you got to reach out to your rep, your senator, they'll listen if you reach out, you've got to make that happen. So become educated who they are, and reach out to them. The House voted for this bad bill. It's a bad bill, period. And I, I put my reputation on the line that day. And, you know, some people didn't like it. And I basically had said, how are we as elected officials Do we know more about this than the police chiefs, the ones that do the background checks, issue the licenses and send their men, women and dogs out into the public to serve and protect us in a violent world and sometimes lose their lives doing it. So we're not listening to the chiefs. We're going to listen to ourselves. And, you know, the vote we lost, because remember, it's one hundred and thirty five Democrats against 25 Republicans. That's kind of lopsided. That's the way it is. Uh, We did get 13 Democrats to come towards our side. It's not always party versus party, but sometimes it can be. Uh, That was a big bill. We lost. Now the Senate has it. In the Senate, it's 36 uh, Democrats to four Republicans. and it doesn't always go party lines but sometimes it does and you got to reach out to your senator now and especially once the bill gets published it won't be till next year let's say february or something once it comes out look at it if you agree with it then let your senator know if you don't let them know in writing and 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 just be part of the mach- the machine and then when that bill's being heard you got to go to boston uh and i know it's hard because we work and but boy these bills this is a big time in the commonwealth we're about to change uh serious stuff in the wrong way so i would just say pay attention learn your system know who your rep and senator is now it's going to the senate when that bill gets put out i know you'll post it i'll post it uh get involved And be ready to, like, get actively involved, whether it's sending an email, making a phone call, um, going in person, or you can do it virtually. It's really easy now to have your voices heard. Don't be the type that say, oh, it doesn't matter. Right. Because that's what they're counting on. Yeah. We have 600,000 licensed
1: gun owners in the Commonwealth. Imagine if they all spoke out. It'd be amazing. Yeah. It really would. Mm -hmm. All right. So rubber meets the road here i got to ask you um a tough question and that is we have a constitution that protects the people's right and i don't see anywhere in the in the constitution that grants any legislature whether state or us congress the right to infringe upon any of our enumerated rights other than what's in the text or in the tradition or the history at the nation's founding of 1791 uh, or the ratification of the bill of rights i should say but the irony of the bill of rights is the way it's written is acknowledging pre-existing rights it's not Coming up with new rights, it's acknowledging that these rights are endowed by our creator. They're not granted by man. They're not given to us by an elected body or by people that sit around and think what should be good for the people or what's bad for the people. These are basic human rights. And the right to keep and bear arms was something that they acknowledged was pre-existing. It they took it further to make it a right that you didn't need permission for. And then uh, said at the very end of it, shall not be infringed. So yesterday as I hear testimony of people and then you know uh, other legislators sitting on the committee with you, um, basically saying, oh, so we're on the same page. We're not here to take away anybody's rights, but you really are by what you're proposing. You're restricting my right. And that's the one that says shall not be infringed. <laughs> um, my question is, how do they feel or how does anyone feel in the legislature that they have the constitutional authority to do that, especially with in light of the Bruin decision, which absolutely, which just came out and said, you must treat it as every other right. So if you can't grant a license to go to church, you can't grant a license to have Fourth Amendment protections against illegal searches and seizures. If you can't charge a fee or issue a permit or uh, charge a tax on um, fill in the blank, you know, the right to remain silent Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, the right to uh, peacefully assemble or the right to petition your government or to have redress of grievances. If you can't charge for any of that or issue a license or permit or restrict those rights, then how do they feel they can do it on the second amendment
2: it's a great question uh, isn't it amazing what our constitution says by our founding fathers so many years ago it's amazing yeah. that document is who we are right. we the people how it got to this place the great question uh before my time in government but you have a great point and the supreme court is kind of pointing that out now mm we're not we, we can't adjust your first amendment right or your fifth amendment right but we can your second amendment right. it's a great point uh but they file these bills and they say they're constitutional but remember uh, they're just bills and they it's just you can say i want to make a bill that says every room in the house has to be purple like they're just bills but they become law through a process And we have to speak out when it comes to any bill, but especially this one, especially to your audience and who you are. You're a business owner. This is your livelihood. People like your product. That's what America's made on. Mm -hmm. And now they're infringing on, they could put you out of business. It's wrong. Um, And it won't make us safer. So there must be some way that in their minds it's okay, but I, I don't think it's okay but we have to speak out, be diplomatic, be strong, be smart, believe in in your candidate or whoever your person is. Think of God. I do. Mm -hmm. And if we want to make our commonwealth safer, we should, but creating, Gun-free zones doesn't do it. Right. Taking police officers out of schools doesn't do it. Uh, having jails half full doesn't do it. Right. Now, right, we have the addiction world. There's there's, there's a, a, a jail out in Western Mass. The sheriff's a great guy. He realizes he has room. So he takes half of the jail and uses it as a detox place. And he's getting criticized that I don't want my son or daughter being sent to a place that was a jail. We should build more facilities. And this guy's saying, look, mine is here. I have all the staff. I want to help you. I'll take them. And he gets attacked for that. So I think because sometimes we don't hear from the average working person. Mm -hmm. Most people in government are not that type. We are. So that's why I was glad you ran for office, uh, because people like us um, need to serve in in other ways. And when it comes to our Constitution, that's what we're built by. And you're on a great point. And I have to do everything I can to, to wisely serve in my capacity and try to educate and change the minds of others. And whether that's the public, like yesterday, or my fellow elected officials, they come to me a lot and say, hey, I don't know this police stuff. I don't know the gun. Can you help me? And that's how it works. And they'll say, oh, I didn't realize that. But then sometimes they're under pressure to vote different. But it's quite a system. I would love to talk more. And I, I guess I invite others to come to the state house. I just came from there. It's a beautiful building. It's the people's house. We just get to work there and we should work hard and we shouldn't be on vacation all the time. Uh, We're on a seven week break. Wow. Uh, Imagine if you could do that. It'd be nice. Yeah. Now I'm still, (laughs) we all like still work. You should be working and helping your constituents, but we should be there listening to these bills and, passing them or not passing them let's let's do work that's what we're there for
1: yeah you you bring up a great point about the people's house uh when i was there you know a couple weeks ago for that bill that passed the h4139 um i took some time and wandered Mm. around and man it's it's a history lesson yes and uh guess what most of the paintings have guys with guns in their hands
2: (laughs) that's beautiful because it's we're a rich state remember if you're born and raised in massachusetts be proud of that we started this whole thing massachusetts men and women farmers and regular people stood up and said we've had enough we started america and people lost their lives doing it
1: literally literally going back to the 1600s i mean I, I'm a you want to talk about proud American? I'm like proud American to the 1600 level because my ancestors came over on the Mayflower, wow. literally. Yeah. So uh Winslow's uh founded Marshfield and Edward Winslow was the first international diplomat and he um uh, he brokered the peace treaty between uh Holland and London, which he had fled London to go to Holland and then left Holland to come to America and uh raised his kids in a in a you know, basically a, a reset button environment where he didn't have outside influences. But um, the point I'm trying to make is the history here is so deep and rich. And one thing I pointed out to uh, Cynthia Cream's chief of staff, which he didn't like to hear, but he giggled a little bit, but it was kind of a nervous giggle. We get so wrapped up in yesterday, half that That hearing was all about ghost guns right half of it Mm -hmm. you know people have have their knickers in a knot about ghost guns our country was founded on ghost guns they were unserialized. the king george the third didn't know what the heck gun joe farmer owned didn't know who made it where it was made when it was made and what caliber it was and what it shot it didn't matter it was irrelevant and when he came to take the shot the primers the powder the the and the muskets uh the american patriots said no and started the shot heard around the world yes and the greatest country is the result yes lexington concord
2: boston tea party it's all in massachusetts and uh so, be proud of that. Don't forget that the black regiment, the fifty fourth fighting uh, regiment, black soldiers that were slaves, fought for freedom, like all in Massachusetts and uh all of that's in the state house and it's time to to remember that to learn more, come and visit and and use your voices. That's how we were founded
1: mm. yeah so we gotta we gotta uh Battle coming up in the Senate, yes. as you pointed out in the new year. Um, the email I saw or the letter I read on the State House News Service was that the they're going to take it up in the in January, which means they're probably working on it now. If mm-hmm. I I had to guess, or at mm-hmm. least have an idea of the direction it's headed. What is the most effective method of communicating with our elected officials? Yeah, great question. Because they need to hear
2: now, and the senators, I would assume, learned from watching the House. The people spoke out, mm. and uh, before yesterday's meeting, I didn't tell you this. I don't know how it happened. It needs to happen again. I got over one thousand emails, a mm. thousand from all over the Commonwealth, real emails um, from cities, towns, Cape Cod, you know, Northampton. It was amazing. So. One way is to make sure you know who your senator is, make a contact, make a phone call. They're busy. Mm -hmm. Remember, they're busy. They have much more territory. They're busy people. They work hard. They should. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they need to hear from their constituents. You're the ones that vote them in. That's how it works. Whether you're pro or for or against, but start doing that now. Mm -hmm. And then uh, once the bill comes out, It's going to have a lot, I would assume, of the same stuff, but maybe not as much because they've learned. But whatever it is, it has to go through the same process. They have to hear from their constituents, and then there's going to be a day where they vote. Mm -hmm. And if they pass it, remember how it works, doesn't mean that's the law. You have a House bill, you have a Senate bill. If they're the same, once they're passed, then they go to the governor and the governor signs it or doesn't. Mm -hmm. They can veto it. If they're different, then they go to a conference committee and that committee works on it to try to resolve the differences. But then eventually it goes to the governor who's going to sign it or not. And that would be sometime probably in the spring, I'm guessing.
1: So let me back up for one sec. Uh, They... Have their version. The house has its version. They go behind closed doors and have this conference committee, right? That's yes. not a public process. A conference committee is six people, okay. hand selected. Okay. I might be one of them.
2: Yeah, but it's always um, uh, four. There's six. Four Democrats, two Republicans, three from the House, three from the Senate. Okay. They're doing it right now of the supplemental budget. Okay. So in theory, they're meeting, and eventually they come up with a a folder. That they, they either agree on or they don't. And they sign it or they don't. And that's the event. That's the final document.
1: And that goes to the governor. So it's 122 pages now. <laughs> so if they come out with their own version and then try to reconcile it in this conference committee, uh, I assume it's going to be a gigantic document or a lot of whiteout or a lot of <laughs> red lines in it. I don't know what the final version looks like, but the point I'm trying to make is let's just say they, they get to the finish line and they've, they've got some sort of bill that they're going to send to the governor's desk. They, does it have to get voted on again? No, no. They come out of conference, even if their bill is totally different looking than the house bill.
2: Uh, No, no, if it's, if they're both exactly the same, which they probably won't be right, but they both pass, they have to go to conference committee that has to get voted on. Okay. And, uh, And that could be a battle. So there's a lot more to this, I think, to your point. Like, just because the first part happened, it's almost like a wake-up call, I think. Hey, this is what happens. This is how it works. Mm -hmm. Let's get educated. Let's make sure you know who your people are. And let's speak out. And when there's 600, not just gun owners, just average people, like, probably think we should do school resource officers instead of safe zones, you know you got to get people involved and there's a lot more to this process. So there's plenty of time. Okay. Uh, and, so, and again, we, it'd probably be sometime next winter or spring.
1: And so what is the most
2: effective means of yeah. communication? I find emails because I can read them. I'm I say seven in the morning till seven at night, I am doing something seven days a week. Honestly, I'm reading, I'm being, I'm at events, I'm with you, whatever. I love serving. It's my job. Um, So emails are good because I can read them whenever I want. And I keep a record. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're a constituent, I save it. You know, like, hey, I heard from Toby. I Mm -hmm. heard from Joe. So emails work for me, but they got to be personalized. Don't just like cut and paste. Try to put your message into it if you can. Phone calls are good. Letters are good.
1: But I I find emails the best myself. And I tell people, my listeners to do a four pronged approach, oh. email, written letter. And I don't care if it's the same in that case, yeah. you know, cut and paste your email or print it out on a nice piece of paper, sign it, date it, put it in an envelope, send it and then a uh, phone call. Yes. And then lastly, follow and tag them in social media posts. I don't know if you find that to be helpful or hurtful or not but I find it gets the it not only gets the word that you're trying to get to the person but all of your followers it has a compounding effect that now are going to see it because your followers will see it and their followers will see it. So it has the greatest potential. I love it. And it costs
2: really nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So I love it. I haven't, what is it? What do you call it again? The four pronged? The four pronged (laughs) approach.
1: (laughs) Phone call email yep. written letter and social
2: media. Yeah, it's wonderful. Social media is, can be bad, but it can be great. I love it. I have 15,000 followers. Please. If you're listening, like follow me because there's so much good stuff there. It's not just lawmaking, right? We're doing things for veterans. We're helping homeless people that are homeless. There's people hungry. There's all kinds of issues mm-hmm. and I'm in the middle of it all. I'm blessed to be there. Right. Um, so get involved. I love the four. Um, I think that's great. Yeah. Or a phone call, like a pr- all you, let's say you, like on Friday, I have coffee with rep X. So first Friday of the month, I pick a different restaurant in my district from nine to 10, come and see me, have coffee on me and talk to me. Mm. You can, so getting a face to face with your rep or Senator is great. Mm. And it's, Sometimes can be hard because they're busy, but sooner or later, you, you should be talking to them. Right. So don't that's a maybe that's the fifth prong.
0: Yeah. I love yeah. It. A face
2: to face is great. Yeah. Get to know them. Yeah. Like, they're not all like uh, crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, they just sometimes think differently than us or and you can educate them. Mm. Some people could fear guns like that woman. I don't like seeing them. Mm. So she has a false fear of them. Right. So if you can take that away now you've either won them over or you you've quieted them down.
1: Hey, you know what? I just thought of something. We, we had that guy offering to have someone come over the house and 3d print a gun. Forget it, it ain't going to happen. Right. But we could have, I know what you're going to say. Rep.
0: Day at Cape Gunworks, And
1: I'll, you know, you want to talk guns, shoot guns, shoot suppressors. You can see the guns behind me have suppressors. I'm a manufacturer. So we can legally have them in Massachusetts learn about this yes. stuff instead of fearing it. Yes. And you know, I know not everybody's gonna do that, but they used to do it. Uh Gun Owners Action League actually sponsored it. And there was I think a state rep that uh would would head it up, spearhead it and have uh, he
2: spoke about that. Yeah. Michael Moore. Michael Moore yeah. is a senator. Okay. He talked about that yesterday. And I listen, I'm like, I gotta talk to Toby about that. Yeah. So you just hit it. we should yeah, do, it. do something like that because you can educate right. I, you you did something with the grandmothers against yeah gun violence yeah they tell me about it because yeah. i go talk with them yeah I, I, my job is to listen to everybody right and uh we we talk and they say you know we were so afraid of guns until toby took us and we shot the guns you know <laughs> and they, it kind of changed some of them they're not necessarily against the gun anymore it's against violence and criminals, that's where it should be.
1: Which we're all against. Yeah, aren't which, <laughs> like
2: I said yesterday, look, guys, we're all should be on this. We all want the same thing. Be safe. Right. right. But how do we get there? Yeah. Enforce the laws that are there and educate others
1: and we'll be in a better place. Yeah. Well, Steve, how can people follow you on all your social media?
2: Okay, State Rep. Steve Exaros
1: on Facebook
2: is is really the best way. My email is Stephen S T E V E N dot Exaros, X I A R H O S at m a house dot gov. That goes right to my State House office, and we I have an assistant. We track them all, so emailing the State House following State Rep Steve Exaros on Facebook. Come to coffee with your rep at the Greek cafe. I got to get the Greeks in there. <laughs> a Greek Nea in Sandwich, a beautiful little restaurant, 9 to 10. My friends will be there. A lot of bikers come to stuff like that. We have a great amount of good people that just want to help and um, get involved. And if you live in a different area, still come and help. Uh, because sometimes you just believe in the mission mm. And this mission is,
1: right now is public safety, and that's my, my wheelhouse. Nice. Well, I appreciate all you do, brother. Uh, keep the good fight going, Amen. and uh, I will be standing side by side with you to try to uh, push history in the right direction and uh, not continue to flounder on the sidelines and be on the on the wrong side of history. Um, so I appreciate all that you do. God bless you and thank you for your service to our country. It's it's you know, the chat has blown up with people who are very supportive of what you're doing and what you're saying. That's wonderful. um, Thank
2: you, Toby, and to your family. And uh, Big Nick's ride is coming up next summer. We'll ride again. We will love that idea. Top shot. That was amazing coming here and shooting with the teams, Mm. the golf that you do. Every penny goes to help somebody. And that event
1: that we talked about just now, let's do it. All right. God all right. bless, man. God bless you. And uh, we will do this again for sure. Um That's all I got, guys. Great show. I appreciate you. And uh we will um, definitely have to have Representative Ixaros on. Again, if you have a state rep that would want to be on my show, I'd be happy to have them on, a state senator, talk about this upcoming fight coming up uh, in the Senate and, uh, we'll, we'll keep the ball rolling in the right direction. We'll keep kicking the ball up the Hill every, uh, every week. So, all right, God bless. We'll see you next week on two A Tuesday. Actually, probably not. I'll be down out in Colorado visiting my dad. So we'll be running a rerun. And, uh, so God bless you. See you next time. Take care.